أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Dear brothers and sisters and welcome to session number 18 of the A Lesson Per Page Quran program and today we will be beginning with page number 80 of the Holy Quran which is all about Tawbah so we are not um, we're not perfect we're not perfect beings we're not perfect individuals none of us are we're not infallible um, and so we can't expect to not make mistakes in life and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is aware of this he wants us to be able to still secure the purpose of our creation which is uh, that ultimate ubudiyah uh, of him and if he's going to not let the door of tawbah be open for us, it'll eventually lead to the whole purpose being defeated of our creation. Why? Because, as I said, because we're not infallible, we make mistakes. If everything was going to be ruined with the first mistake we make, then I don't think anyone is going to ever make it. <laughs> and so here, Allah opens that door for us, but there are conditions to it that these uh, next couple... Uh, verses are going to be discussing. Now some people will say that uh, you know this is a double-edged sword. You, uh, When people know that the door of tawbah is open then what happens is that you might be encouraging them to sin. But an answer that I want to give personally, it's not the, the Quran doesn't say this, but the answer I want to give is this. Like what, what is the other option brothers and sisters? To tell people that the first mistake they make then it's all over? Like if that happens, we're going to have chaos and anarchy everywhere because people, once they make that first mistake, they're like, okay, you know, we're doomed anyway, so we might as well just let go and do whatever we want. And that's going to definitely cause problems. So without a doubt, um, it makes sense that Allah would leave the door of tawbah open to His servants. But of course, there will be conditions there for it to have the desired effect. So let us begin uh, with verses uh, 17 and 18 of Surah An-Nisa. I read the Arabic and then we will discuss some details. Some very important details actually. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Innama at-tawbatu ala Allahi lilladheena ya'maluna as-su'a bijahalatin thumma yatubuna min qareeb fa'ulaika yatubu Allahu alayhim wa kana Allahu aleeman hakeema وَلَيْسَتِ التَّوْبَةُ لِلَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السَّيِّئَاتِ حَتَّى إِذَا حَضَرَ أَحَدَهُمُ الْمَوْتُ قَالَ إِنِّي تُبْتُ الْآنَ وَلَا الَّذِينَ يَمُوتُونَ وَهُمْ كُفَّارٌ أُولَئِكَ أَعْتَدْنَا لَهُمْ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا Acceptance of repentance by Allah is only for those who commit evil out of jahala. Now if you look at the Arabic, you see on that first line it says, Bijahalatin. Um, and the translation that I used had translated this term, but I brought the Arabic here for a reason. We'll discuss this later, inshallah. So Allah, it says Allah rep accepts repentance and will turn back to a servant of His only when they do wrong out of jahala, do evil and commit evil out of jahala, then repent, repent promptly. It is such whose repentance Allah will accept, and Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. Okay, that's verse number 17. Verse 18 though says, But acceptance of repentance is not for those who go on committing misdeeds when death approaches any of them. He says, I repent now. That's too late now, my friend. 
nor is it for those who die while they are faithless. Of course, Allah is not going to accept their repentance. Like maybe Yamul Qiyamah, they see the uh, the hellfire. They're like, oh my God, oh Allah, we we repent. I mean, that's not it's not going to be accepted from you. You di you died when you were, while being in the state of kufr, knowing the truth but still rejecting it. For such we have prepared a painful punishment. Okay, so as I said, we are not perfect beings, brothers and sisters. We can't have such expectations. That's why the door of tawbah is open, but as I said, there are going to be conditions for that. Right? So, there are, I would say there are three key words in verse number 17 that I want to discuss that I think are super important. The first one, <clears throat> the Arabic had it, but the English doesn't really bring it. It doesn't show it and reflect what the Arabic is saying. So the Arabic said, إِنَّمَا التَّوْبَةُ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَعْمَلُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ So that's the first thing that we need to keep in mind. Allah means it's upon Allah. It's a, it's a responsibility of Allah. It's on Him. He has to do this. So the first thing that we notice right here on the, at the get-go is that um, Allah has made it incumbent upon Himself. If He hadn't said this, all right, if He hadn't said this, um, then uh, we, would, we would have no right to say that, Oh Allah, it is upon you, it is wajib upon you, it is incumbent upon you to accept tawbah. He's bringing it on himself, okay then, alhamdulillah, that we have such a kind Lord, okay? So that's number one, that he is making it incumbent upon himself. Alhamdulillah, what more could one ask for? The second point in the verse number 17 is those who commit evil out of jahala. Now the translations usually will say ignorance. Jahil, jahala, they're from the same root, so might, might as well just uh, you know, translate it as such. But it can't be ignorance, brothers and sisters, it can't. Because if someone commits a wrong act out of ignorance, out of mistake, whatever, it doesn't even make sense for them to be held responsible and accountable to begin with. If you remember, we had uh, on one of the pages before we had this lesson, uh, it was the last verse of Surah Baqarah. Yes, verse number 286 from what I remember. There it ended with a dua. Yes, Rabbana, Allah tu akhidna in nasina al akhta'na. Oh Allah, don't hold us responsible. If we forget, if we make mistakes, well, that's ignorance, brothers and sisters. When you do something out of mistake or forgetfulness, that's ignorance. And so, that dua we said over there it was that it apparently it was accepted reg in, in regards to the ummah and nation of the Holy Prophet and whatever explanations we had there. But all in all, even if that verse wasn't there, it doesn't. It's not fair if a person, uh, for whatever reason, unless it's their own fault. But other than that, it's not fair for a person to be held responsible for something they were not aware of. Okay, let's say. Um, I've tried my best to figure out what the rules of God are in regards to my everyday life and I have just missed one and I'm ignorant towards that one ruling and as a matter of fact I actually commit that act that's haram maybe but I was not aware of, I was ignorant of. Okay, I tried my best to learn the rules. It's not like I have some divine immaculate knowledge of everything. I have to learn, I have to read, I have to ask and you know try to find my answers. And so I did commit a, an evil act out of, out of my own ignorance, that's true. 
It's true, but can Allah hold me responsible for this? You know, it. Uh, I think all all ulama, all scholars of all faiths will say, no, it doesn't make sense for God to hold you responsible for this. God can't have expectations of divine knowledge from a fallow, fallible being like myself. So it doesn't make sense that Allah says, I will only accept your repentance if you do something wrong out of ignorance. Well, lots of times the ignorance is not even my fault. So it doesn't even make sense for me to be held accountable for Allah to accept my repentance for that act that I'm not even accountable, that I'm not going to be held accountable for. Hopefully that makes sense, brothers and sisters. In other words, there is no tawbah for something that's committed out of ignorance that wasn't my fault. For Allah to say, okay, I will only accept this tawbah, this type of tawbah. Okay? I do have to stress here though, sometimes my ignorance is my own fault. It's my own shortcoming. That's a different story. Sometimes the, the book is in front of me. The Islamic laws book, the Quran, the Quran is in front of me. I don't even bother to open it. I slack off. I don't get off my back to uh, do the work of learning. That's a different story. Of course, that ignorance is that ignorance needs and calls for tawbah for sure. But there will be lots of cases of ignorance that it's just not our fault, and so there is no tawbah there. So, having said all of that, when it says is only for those who commit evil out of jahala. What is meant that our mufassirin have explained uh, and our scholars have explained very beautifully is to do things out of desire although you know it's wrong. In other words, jahala here would translate into more like foolishness or letting my desires get the best of me. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is a form of ignorance but not ignorance meaning lack of knowledge of something. No, I know, I know it's bad but I, yet I still do it because of just, you know, I'm just being, a, I'm just being foolish. Right? Foolishness sometimes can be seen as a form of ignorance, but they are a little different. So I want us to keep that in mind. So a person has done something wrong because their desires, their emotions have gotten the best of them. Their anger has gotten the best of them. They knew, they knew it's wrong. They knew the ruling perfectly. They know that if they say something that hurts the feeling of their wife or husband or children or mother or father when they get angry, they're not supposed to say it, yet the emotions and anger got the best of them and they said it. Yeah, they made, it was a foolish mistake they made. Okay, so that's what the verse is talking about according to these great scholars. I mean, I think all of the ones that I checked say the same thing, and others. There's another clause here, another point, a third point in this verse. So what were they so far? Number one, Allah has made it incumbent upon Himself. Wow, thank you. Number two, it's not that we have to, if we made a mistake, it's only because we tried our best to figure things out, but we just made a mistake and we were ignorant about it. No, 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 no. Even if um, I knew the rule, but it's just that my emotions and desires got the best of me, this still counts. Number three, point number three in verse number 17 is that it has to be, the repentance have to, has to happen. عن قريبن. That was what the verse said. And the translation here says, repent promptly. So that's, one, that's a clause here. So does that mean that when I do the sin, right away I have to repent, or else if I leave it for two hours later, if I leave it for three days later, and then I repent, it's not accepted? Well, there are two opinions here, okay? He says that because of the next verse that says Tawbah is not accepted when you die, 
He says because of that context clue, qareeb and promptness here means to make sure that you repent before death. Others say, no, no, we have reason to believe it means to do it promptly, meaning like a little bit after you've committed that sin. But all in all, I want to, take, I want to draw a conclusion here, brothers and sisters. Whether it is what Allama Tabatabai said, or it's what others have said, doesn't matter practically, you know why? Because even if you're going to wait till the, before you die to do your repentance, how do you know if you're going to be alive two hours from now? So you see, our hands are tied anyway. In other words, and I remember some of the akhlaq teachers that we would go to, they would always mention this, that if you ever, God forbid, commit a sin, don't leave it for later. You have to repent as fast as you can and make a decision not to go back to that sin. And this is very important and key, brothers and sisters. So in the end, practically speaking, because we don't know when, the death of, when our death is going to be, then we have no choice but to repent promptly anyway. Even if an qareebin in the verse means before you die. It doesn't matter because I don't know when I'm going to die. You see? So I think, uh, I think it's pretty clear what our practical duty is. Inshallah, we are careful about this. Now, if a person leaves it off, puts it off for a year, two years, ten years even, still, I don't want anyone to think that this means that their repentance won't be accepted if you happen to be alive ten years from now and you want to repent from something you did 10 years ago, then so be it, no problem. Inshallah, Allah accepts that as well. That, I don't think any scholar says that no, it's not, it's not accepted. Even the ones who say, an qareeb means do it swiftly and promptly, they say that even if you do it later, it'll still be accepted. It'll still be accepted, inshallah. But they just have a few points that they make. I don't want to get into because it'll take too much time. Um, but all in all, everyone, everyone, says that even if you leave it and put it off for later, inshallah it'll still be accepted, but there's no guarantee that we're going to be alive till next year, till five years from now, till ten years from now. So do not make that mistake, inshallah. Now, going back to this whole tawbah that is spoken of in verse 17, and we still have to get to verse 18, there's some, a couple of points there I want to make as well. And the reason why I'm spending so much time on this is because this is one of those important verses of the Qur'an that is talking about tawbah, something we really need and we really need to, we really need to know about and, not, and, get it, and make sure that we get it right and we don't get it wrong, okay? Alright, so let's go back to these, uh, the conditions. Okay, so the tawbah that has the conditions is the tawbah that is coming after, is, that, I'm, that I'm doing after I committed an evil act out of just mistake that I made and I still love Allah, I still believe in Allah and all of that, right? I don't have a, a sickness in my heart against God, it's just that I just couldn't control myself. This, if a person goes by this verse, then they'll understand what Imam Sajjad is saying in Dua Abu Hamza. He is making sure that when he's doing tawbah, and of course we believe that he's infallible, and so if he is mentioning what he is mentioning in Dua Abu Hamza, he is really maybe teaching us, um, you know, what we what kind of mindset and mentality we're supposed to have when it comes to tawbah. But anyway, having said all of that, Imam Sajjad teaches us how to check the boxes, so that we so that this verse applies to us, if we ever sin. All right. So I'm going to read read to you this part of uh, Dua Abu Hamza, which is a very important excerpt of the Dua. He says, Ilahi lam a'sika hina asaytuk 
وَأَنَا بِرُبُوبِيَّتِكَ جَاحِدٍ Oh Allah, when I disobeyed you and I sinned, I, I sinned not because or not while I am denying your lordship. No, no I believe in your lordship. And it's not because I take your commands lightly either. No, 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 no. I believe you're the Lord. And I believe that it is super important to go by your commands. And it's not like I want to make myself subject to your punishment either. Like as if like I don't care or something. No, no, no. I am not interested in your punishment. Right? <laughs> That's not something I'm interested in. It's not like I am taking lightly those vows and oaths that you have made that you will take the sinners, uh, that the sinners can be held responsible, hellfire this and that. It's not like I'm taking any of that lightly. So, O oh Allah, know that everything is perfectly where it's supposed to be when it comes to my beliefs and the way I look at things. But then what's the problem then? It was a mistake that I made. A mistake that I made. Can't I make mistakes? Am I infallible? So as I said, Imam Sajjad, it seems he's teaching us what to say here because we believe he's infallible, right? nafsi. My nafs made it something nice in my eyes. Right? This sin was made was beautified in my eyes by my nafs, by my abase, carnal self. Wagalabani Hawaii. And my desire overtook me and beat me in that little battle that I had with it. As a result, I committed this sin and this disobedience. <laughs> Look at this. This is this for you gamers out there, this is cheat code. Okay? Imam Sajjad, it's as if he's saying, People, if you sin, if you disobey Allah, at least be smart about it. Don't make the mistake shaitan did. And this is something we talked about uh, from what I remember on page 6 of the Qur'an when we talked about questioning God versus asking God questions. Over there and maybe other places I mentioned, I said our scholars will say that even if you make the mistake, if you commit sins, don't be like, oh Allah, I don't think this is wrong or I don't think this should be haram. No, 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 shh, don't say that. Instead, say, Oh Allah, I'm sorry, I just, I, I, I lost the battle. Allah prefers this over you saying, acting like the way shaitan did, trying to bust out with some logic in front of Allah and try to act like you're, you know better of what you're supposed to do and what, not supposed to, what, what, you're, you, what you can and what you can't do. Here, Imam Sajjad, very clearly, he's giving us that special you know, guidance of how to talk to Allah if we ever commit a sin and we're upset about it. Just say, Oh Allah, I love you still. I believe in your Lordship still. I still fear the hellfire. I believe that I need to listen to your commands. All of these things I believe in. But sorry, I just made a mistake and my emotions, desires, whatever, got the best of me. I am sorry. So this is how Tawbah works, brothers and sisters. Isn't this beautiful? Where are the ones who say, Oh, your religion is not about love. Is this is what more can we ask for? It's not saying Allah's not saying, "Oh, you knew it's haram, so now that you knew, you're going to be punished anyway." I got to make I got to use this hellfire that I made for somebody. He doesn't say it like that. 
says, you made a mistake, you lost that battle, that's fine. The door of Tawbah is open for you. If Tawbah is not for you, then who's it going to be for? <laughs> Am I going to leave the door of Tawbah open for like my infallibles? No, it's for us. These are the conditions, not too hard. But what about the ones who don't meet the criteria? Verse number 18 says, look, there are some people, all right, they're sinning all their life, and then they all of a sudden they die. All right, you never repented from your sin. You died with this burden. So this burden is going to get is going to come back to haunt you in the barzakh, yawmul qiyamah, whenever. You are prone to that sin that you left this dunya with without repenting. Repent. Fir'aun is drowning. The Quran tells us this story. He's drowning. Once he's drowning, he's like, "Oh Allah, now I believe." That's not how it works. I'm sorry. Too late now. The veils have already been lifted. You know it's over. And you're like, I, I, now, I, now, I, uh, now I repent. No, repentance has a function that ceases at death time. Repentance itself builds us, brothers and sisters. Repentance itself builds us. And so if we wanted to have the desired effect, it happens before death. So those who die without repenting, it's not going to be accepted after they die. Or those who die as kuffar, not a person who believes but has committed sins and then doesn't repent. No, no, he's a disbeliever altogether. This person also, sorry, like, <laughs> you, uh, nothing's going to be accepted from you, right? So, uh, so what's important in these two verses is to keep in mind that it's very easy it's very easy, but at the same time, a very delicate thing that we have to be careful about to not put off till later. Okay. Um, there was one more point here, here that I wanted to mention, but I just uh, it slipped my mind. So let's let's move on to page number. Uh, let's move on to page number eighty-one. Page number eighty-one. Those who are haram to marry are the only ones that are mahram to you. So this is going to help a little bit for people to understand. Um, number one thing that I want to say here before we get into the actual verse is that uh, we, uh, as I said uh, when we started Surah An-Nisa, I said that we're not going to get into too many, I'm going to try my best not to get into too many fiqhi uh, verses of this Surah, although it's full of fiqhi legal uh, verses. And so, but this is one of them I felt that the brothers and sisters will, will appreciate. That this whole idea of mahram, non-mahram comes from haram. Okay? When you are mahram to someone, that means you, it is haram for you to marry them. As a result of it being haram to marry them, you are mahram to them. They don't have to go by the hijab rules uh, with you. Um, now the Qur'an will speak of Many of these cases, there might be a, f a, a few that it's not speaking of in this verse that I will add as we uh, go through the details. Let's recite the verse. This is verse number 23 of Surah An-Nisa. And so it's going to make a lot of, it's going to give a list of haram, people that it's haram to get married to, which means anyone other than this is halal to get married to. حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمْ أُمَّهَاتُكُمْ وَبَنَاتُكُمْ وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ وَعَمَّاتُكُمْ وَخَالَاتُكُمْ وَبَنَاتُ الْأَخِ وَبَنَاتُ الْأُخْتِ وَأُمَّهَاتُكُمُ اللَّاتِ أَرْضَعْنَكُمْ 
وأخواتكم من الرضاعة وأمهات نسائكم وربائبكم اللاتي في حجوركم من نسائكم اللاتي دخلتم بهن فإن لم تكونوا دخلتم بهن فلا جناح عليكم وحلائل أبنائكم الذين من أصلابكم وأن تجمعوا بين الأختين إلا ما قد سلف إن الله كان غفورا رحيما Forbidden to you are your mothers, your daughters, and your sisters, your, patern your paternal aunts and your maternal aunts, your brothers' daughters and your sisters' daughters, your foster mothers who have suckled you and your sisters through suckling, your wives' mothers and your stepdaughters who are under your care, born of the wives whom you have consummated marriage with. But if you have not consummated with them, there is no sin upon you. No sin upon you meaning no sin upon you to marry them later. And the wives of your sons who are from your loins, and that you should marry two sisters at one time, excluding what is already past. Indeed, Allah is all forgiving, all merciful. All right, so a lot of details here that I want to get through, inshallah, and I guess today. We're going to have less pages that we cover because these are long verses with details, but they are kind of important actually. The Tawbah one was very important, and also, um, I, think, I think this one is also important, uh, and I'll, I'll explain why inshallah. So, uh, well, actually let me explain why now actually. Um, look, the verse is very clear and black and white about um, who is mahram and who is non-mahram as a result of being haram to marry. Brothers and sisters, if it's haram to get married to somebody, it's not because you are attracted to them or not, or if you're like 50 years older than them or younger than them or not. It has nothing to do with that. The verse is very clear-cut and the verse is very black and white. So if anyone falls outside of these ones that are mentioned, okay, just because you're not attracted to them, just because they're 50 years older than you, won't make them mahram to you because technically marriage is still valid with them. Although you never even would even think of such a thing because she or he is 50 years older than you, for example. He or she might have raised you alongside your mother, right? Doesn't matter. These are black and white. Mahram, non-mahram issues are black and white. It's not like, oh, I, don't ha I have lustful intentions or not, I have evil intentions or not, I have marriage intentions or not. No, it's none of that, brothers and sisters. If you fall under one of these categories, or if she falls under one of these categories, she is mahram to you. If she falls under one of these categories of being haram to marry, she is mahram to you. If not, then no, she's not mahram to you, even though you would never even think of marrying her. Okay? That's a point that I needed to make. Another point is that, the verse is taking a male and letting the male know all of the females that are haram on him to marry. Okay? F invert this and you will get the same answer for females. Okay? And who th which males are haram upon her. Okay? So you just have to invert the verse and you will get the answer for females and those who are haram to females. To get married. Okay, so let's go through this really quickly. There are some points. We have three categories of, uh, or three ways 
that you can become mahram to somebody, either through uh, nasab, or through sabab, or through rada'ah. Okay? Nasab means through blood relations. Sabab means through marriage. Okay? And, or refers to marriage here. Sabab itself means cause or means. But sabab here means something that has caused you to become mahram, meaning marriage. Uh, and rada'a, meaning suckling or nursing, yes, which has its own conditions, which we won't get into, but they, this is a fiqhi matter and it has its own conditions. All right, but generally speaking, it's one of these three. Let's talk about nasab first. Blood relatives. Which blood relatives is it haram for a guy to get married to? Obviously, mothers. Your mothers. So why does it say mothers? It should just say mother. Each person has only one mother, right? Well, um, to explain this, I think it's uh, most of you can guess what I'm going to say. Mother in in uh, in Islamic fiqh and Islamic laws in Islamic laws refers to your biological mother that gave you birth and upwards, meaning her mother and her mother's mother all the way up. So any one of those is haram to marry me. As a result, they are all mahram to me. They don't have to observe hijab, for example, in my presence. Your daughters, same thing here. If you have a biological daughter, which you know, you're the father of, and your daughter's daughter, and your daughter's daughter's daughter, and your granddaughter, all the way, great-granddaughter, great-grand, all the way down, right? Inshallah, you live a thousand years, you have, you know, ten generations after that, or five generations after that of daughters. They are all mahram to you. It doesn't matter how, how much down this family tree goes, um, still, they are mahram to you. And they are haram on you to marry, of course. Your sisters, okay? Your paternal aunts and your maternal aunts. Okay, so meaning what? Meaning uh, your father's sisters and your mother's sisters. Now, here we have to pay attention. In certain cultures, sometimes my, my uncle's wife is referred to as my aunt. That's not what is meant here. She's not related to you through blood relationship at all. Right? She's not a relative of yours through blood. She's related to you through marriage of your blood relative. That doesn't count. This is a very important thing, and I've pointed this out in one of our lessons before as well, that your mother's sister and your father's sister, they are mahram to you and haram on you to marry. But if your uncle has a wife, she might be referred to as your aunt, but she's not mahram to you. And if they ever get divorced, technically, although you're probably not interested, but I'm just saying technically, the Islamic law will be that marriage is okay with you and her. So there's no mahramiya here, brothers and sisters. Let us keep this in mind, because you always hear this, that they say, oh, you know, she, he is just like my son. I raised him, I changed his diaper, while she is your uncle's wife. And so now that he's 25 years old, uh, and all good-looking and macho, I'm still mahram to him, and I don't have any bad intentions. Okay, fine. You don't have any bad intentions, so you can you can socialize with them, speak with them, and all that, but you can't, the, the, the laws of mahramiyyah don't apply here. Why? Because it says paternal aunts and maternal aunts only. And those are the ones that are related through blood.
What else? Your brother's daughters and your sister's daughters. So your nieces from both sides, from both your brothers and sisters, they are also mahram to you. And of course their children. So if you have a niece who also has children, who has a daughter, that also will be mahram. She will also be mahram to you. So you see, in all of these examples that I'm giving, your aunts, for example, we talked about aunts. Right? What, if, what, if, what if my aunt has a paternal or maternal aunt? Same thing will apply. Blood relationship, you're good. Mahram, you're mahram. And it's haram for you to ever get married to them. Although, as I keep saying this, you probably won't be interested in that anyway. But just saying, technically speaking here, that's how it is. Right? So, you see, as far as the family tree goes with this blood relationships, you're good. If your mother's sister, okay, has her own aunt's, has her own mother's sister, that, that aunt of hers is going to be your aunt technically. And so you are mahram. If your niece has a daughter and she has another daughter, mahram, it's all mahram to you as a man. Now if you were a woman, the same will apply. If, you ha- if your nephew has a son, for example. Alright, so those are the nasabi relatives that are mahram to you, that it's haram to get married to. Okay? Then it moves on to um, Rada'a and mentions two of those who are going to be mahram to you through Rada'a. It says, وَأُمَّهَاتُكُمُ اللَّاتِ أَرْضَعْنَكُمْ وَأَخَوَاتُكُمْ مِنَ الرَّضَعَ Your mothers who have suckled you. So we have this idea in Islamic law and fiqh that if a woman meets certain conditions, there are conditions here that sometimes people neglect and they, they make the mistake of thinking they're mahram to someone that they have nursed like once or twice. No, there are conditions like four or five, something like that. I don't remember exactly. Conditions that have to be met. Once those are met, that woman that has nursed a boy, a baby boy, will become like his mother in all of the mahram rules. Not only that, if that lady has a daughter from another guy who is not related to this boy who has nursed uh, from her and there's no relationship whatsoever, that daughter of hers will also become his sister and mahram to him and they can never get married to each other. Even if they never see each other and then they meet each other 25 years later, it's haram for them to get married. And they are mahram to each other, meaning that she doesn't have to observe hijab in front of him. Yes? Okay, so... These are two examples, but I want to add this. There is more here that the verse has not spoken of, and our ulama have pointed this out. That then this is, I think, unanimously accepted by Shi'i, Sunni, everybody. That look, it's not just the mother and her daughter who become mahram to the boy that was nursed by the mother, but the mother's sister also becomes mahram, as like an aunt to him. The, that, that, that the nursing mother's mother will become mahram to him like a grandmother and so on and so forth and this is based on the sources that we have a fam- there is a famous hadith by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa where he says yahrumu min ar-rida'a or min ar-rida' ma yahrumu min nasab that through nursing everyone who is not who is mahram through nasab and through you know blood relationship is going to also be mahram through nursing so those seven that we listed 
right, will apply here. The seven that were there for nasab and blood relationships will apply for rada as well. Okay, rada with an ayn at the end. All right, so I hope that's clear. But of course, there are a lot of rulings here that, you know, and details that I'm going to skip that I want the brothers and sisters to know that these uh, can be found in the books. And if anyone has questions, they can always send their questions in in regards to this as well. And finally, talks about a few more people and that other category that we talked about, the sababi ones, those who become mahram through marriage. Of course, when you marry somebody, you're mahram to them, not only just mahram, normal mahram to them, they are closer to you than anyone else, right? So the verse is not talking about that. It's talking about when you get married to somebody, who else becomes mahram to you? Who else become, Who will become haram on you to get married to? Who are they? Well, if you marry somebody, let me see the Arabic here. Ummahatu nisa'ikum, your mother-in-laws. So your wife's mother, okay, becomes haram on you. Becomes haram on you forever. Meaning what? Even if you divorce your wife, that mother of hers is still, is still haram on you to marry, technically. And as a result, you are mahram to her still. Okay? And what else do we have? If a guy gets married to a lady who was previously married and had a child, had a daughter from somebody else, now you, this guy marries that woman who has that daughter, once the marriage is consummated between this, this new husband and wife, that girl, that daughter becomes haram on him. He can never marry her. And as a result, she is mahram to him as well. But what if the marriage is not consummated between that husband and wife? The daughter is still not haram on him. Okay, so that is something to keep in mind. What else? Who else is uh, mahram to us uh, through marriage? Halailu aslabikum. The wives of your sons, your biological sons. You see here it said, uh, from your own loins. That means a real son, a biological son, not an adopted son. And we all know the story of Zayd that the Qur'an speaks about. The Qur'an tells the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Zayd was the adopted son of the Prophet, but there's no blood relationship there between them. The Prophet was taking care of him. And so when he grows up and he marries, um, I think it was the cousin of the Holy Prophet, when he marries her and eventually they, they divorce, the, the Qur'an tells the Prophet that he has to go marry the wife, the ex-wife of his adopted son. Why? Because to show the people that this is not a real son at the end of the day and the rules of a real son don't apply. Okay, If you want to adopt somebody, you want to take care of somebody, that's fine. But that won't bring about the, the laws of mahramiyyah. It won't. And so that's something to be careful about when we do, if, if anyone does want to take uh, someone under their wing, that the laws of mahramiyyah don't come just through a, a regular civil adoption. There are other ways that have to, and other routes that sometimes one can take, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes one can take. Uh, there's details there I don't want to get into either. But anyway, so this verse is making it clear. The, the wives of your sons from your loins, meaning your biological sons, the ones that you're actual fathers of, those are the ones that once your son 
gets married to that girl, right away she becomes haram on you forever. Haram meaning you can never marry her, even if they divorce. And she's mahram to you as a result. Okay? To have two sisters, two biological sisters, to be your wife at the same time when they're both alive. No, that's not allowed either. Okay, there were some people during the Prophet's time, uh, who were married to two sisters at the same time. The verse is saying, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, meaning there's no sin on you. But now that you know this rule, you have to choose one of these two sisters. And so that's something that they had to do. Inna Allah kana ghafuran rahima. Allah um, is, is, is uh, all forgiving, all merciful. If you made mistakes in the past, it's fine. Now you can make it up. Alright, so that is the verse. Uh, as you see, it's a very it's, it, these rulings that are in these verses are hard to dissect. Right? And they, they can get a little long as well. The reason why I chose this one though is because this is one that we deal with a lot and people talk about and it, uh, and it comes up in different circles and different families and they say, oh yeah, who's mahram? Whoever you're not attracted to is mahram to you, as if. Or on a wedding night, you know, everyone is mahram to each other all of a sudden. No, 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 no. <laughs> no none of these conditions have been mentioned in this verse. I changed his diaper for 20 years. Well, no, excuse me, not for 20 years. No one has diapers on for 20 years. But 20 years ago, I was changing his diapers. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> all right, 20 years ago, I was changing his diaper. He's like a son to me. No, no, no. The verse didn't, I don't know about you all, but I don't see no, nothing in this verse talking about no diapers, you know? No, no. None of these things are there, brothers and sisters. Um... I hate to say it, but like these are black and white verses that we have and rulings that we have, whether we like it or not, and we have to be submissive to them, inshallah. All right, let's go on to the next page. Enough of the ahkam for now. Let's go to page number 82. So these rules can sometimes, you know, get a little tough. Sometimes, you know, we might grow tired of them and we're like, What's, come on, like, why can't we just have it easy? Well, let's go back to the gym example that I've given in the past. This life, the reason why we're here wasn't for us to just come to have fun. If Allah wanted to just, uh, us to just have fun, He would have taken us somewhere else maybe. We are here to train ourselves to, to, so that we can get the most pleasure later. Okay, and that's why we're here. So, all these rules might be hard, but know that Allah is doing all of this for us. That is the lesson we get out of page number 82. Verse number 26 of Surah An-Nisa. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَكُمْ وَيَهْدِيَكُمْ سُنَنَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَيَتُوبَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah desires to explain the laws to you. He's after, that's what He's after. He wants to clarify things for you. And to guide you to the customs of those who were before you. So I'm going to explain that part. And to turn toward you clemently. And Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. So what do we see in here, brothers and sisters? All we see is you, you, you. It's all about you, meaning us. What does Allah have in mind with all these rules? He has us in mind. He wants it for us. Okay? So, like that trainer in the gym, let's go back to that example. Sometimes you just want to have fun. You want to just play basketball in the gym. No, your, your coach or trainer says, all right, people, let's warm up first. 
20 minute jog, 15 minute jog. All right, now it's time to stretch. Boring. Can we just get to the fun stuff? No, no, no. Now I want you to take this shake or I want you to take that uh, uh, electrolyte powder or whatever. Come on, let's just get to the fun. Let's cut to the chase. No, this coach wants longe longevity from you, all right? Longevity from you. And he wants you to be able to be there for the long run. He wants you to be able to be healthy and be able to play for the, for the longest time. Right, so he's gonna make sure that he's gonna he's gonna be very strict on you. Actually, you the more talent you have, the more skill and potential you have, the more strict coaches are gonna be on you in, in, in these sports teams. Why longevity? They want to get the most out of you. Okay, so now it just makes sense. No one scolds a, a coach or a trainer for having such expectations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives us left and right, boom, boom, boom. He just gives us these laws. And we're sitting here all trying to be all lazy sometimes, we're upset. Can it just be about the fun? Can it just be about, let me do whatever I want and all of that? Well, all of this is so you don't hurt yourself. I want you to be able to be there for it all. I want you to be able to hoist all the trophies that you can. And this is how the, well, those previous to you did it. So you, so you remember, brothers and sisters, I said, we'll talk about guide you to the customs of those who were before you. All right? So I'll give you an NBA example, okay? I know some of you don't like LeBron James. Some of you like him. But I'm just going to use him as an example. His coach or trainer or whatever is going to tell him, look, I'm, these are all the things that you have to do because I see it in you. I see you got what it takes. This is the way I trained Michael Jordan in the past. This is how I trained, I don't know, Kobe Bryant in the past. This is how I trained Shaquille O'Neal in the past, Kevin Garnett in the past. This is how they did it. This is how I'm going to do it for you. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Look, that's how the verse is kind of sounding. Allah says, look, this is how I did it for those who came before you. These are the customs and the traditions. I, in other words, the guidelines that I use for those before you. This was interesting how one of the scholars explained this verse like this. I really liked it. I really like it and I think it clicks. It's not that Allah just wants to see us doing the same traditions of the people before us. The people before us who made it, they made it because of these customs, because of these traditions and guidelines. They were successful, so I'm going to do the same for you. Hey LeBron James! Michael Jordan, he had a movie. I'm going to star you in a movie too. He had his own sneakers. I'm going to make sure you have your own sneakers. He did this. He did that. I'm going to make sure you do all of that too because I want you to get the most out of the talent that you have. And Allah wants to do the same. All right? So there is no, uh, there is no reason to be upset, okay, that there's so much strictness. No, that's just how it's supposed to be because there, there's so much potential in us. And look at the next verse. I haven't brought it here, but the next verse, uh, verse 27, it says, That Allah desires to turn toward you clemently, but, but those who follow their desires wish that you should deviate a great deal. They want you to deviate. So you know what it's like? It's like that friend we have Right, that's in, in, he's in such bad shape physically, and then he's like 
trying to make sure that you don't stay in shape at least. Like you are, are, are sharing in his misery by also being out of shape. So what do they do? It's like, you know, trying to find excuses to like not let you go to the gym, offering you snacks and unhealthy foods all the time, and so on and so forth, right? Does he love you? Is he doing it for that? I mean, he likes you. He's your friend at the end of the day, but he wants you to be like him. Here it says, there are some people, uh, the next verse actually, 27, says that there are some people, they just want you to deviate. Well, come on, like mind your own business. You don't want to be on the straight path? Fine, don't be on the straight path. But uh, why are you messing with me and not letting me be on the straight path at least? I want to be on the straight path. So, brothers and sisters, this is something that's been recurring. We've been talking about this a lot. How we have to see this as a blessing. The more guidelines, the more a blessing, the more my potential will flourish and will actualize and materialize, the more I will grow, insha'Allah ta'ala. Allahumma nawwir qulubana bil-Qur'an وزين أخلاقنا بالقرآن ونجنا من النار بالقرآن وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته